0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke, the first chapter, verses 67 through 79. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the land of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is God's Word. You may be seated.
1: Boy, if you're living in darkness, if you feel like your life is in the shadows, what would you give for something to shine on you? That is a powerful piece of Scripture. Open your Bibles up to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we are so thankful for this opportunity not only to come and to worship you, but to know that we are in your presence as a family in this moment. We are Your children. That is what You have made it. This is what we are. You have made Your love and mercy, Your greatness, Your kindness, Your grace to shine upon us. And we feel it, Father, in the very depths of our soul, the goodness that comes to us because of this blessing. We rejoice. We praise You. We thank You. We adore You. We worship You, Father. Because You have made it true in Christ Jesus and have changed us completely. So as we study this morning, Father, and strive to know this Word, our prayer in the name of Jesus is that You give us eyes that see, ears that hear. And we pray, Father, for the blessing, the blessing of Your nearness, the blessing of Your Word the blessing of your speaking to our hearts and souls and minds, Father, be true in this very hour as we come together as your children to study. Bless us in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, some years ago, my middle brother was probably uh, maybe four years old, five years old, and uh, we were living up in Wichita Falls at the time, and it was about this time of year, it's and as uh, was always kind of the case at the church we were attending, a Faith Village Church of Christ in uh, Wichita Falls, uh, there was always uh, lessons and stories about the birth of Jesus. And they would always include kind of nativity scene, and you can imagine what that's like. And it was always really a special time of the year for all of the little children to, to study about these things. And, you know, the teacher was, uh, was sort of a maestro when it came to, to little four- and five-year-olds. And really did this phenomenal job of getting the lighting in the room just right. And had all of these little kids. And they were, you know, they're not just sitting in their chairs. They're leaning forward on the table. And uh, she's telling the story about the birth of Jesus. And she's going around the little nativity scene. And, uh, you know, who are these? These people. Well, that's Joseph and that's Mary. the and, and who are they? They're the mother and father of Jesus. And who is this? That's the baby Jesus. And, and who are these people? Well, these are uh, the, 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 the wise men that have come to see the, uh, the, the birth of Jesus. And she asks as she points to the shepherd, and who is this? And my brother blurts out, that is Round John Virgin. <laughs> and the teacher started laughing and said, Round John Virgin? And he goes, yeah, you know, in the song." Round John Virgin. And he started singing. He can't sing. He's he's even worse singer than me, if you can imagine that. You know, But, I, you know, it, that story, first I just, I, every time I tell that story, I just love my brother. Well, that's just awesome. But at the same time, it's also a reminder that, you know, sometimes we don't get the names right. Sometimes we don't get the songs right. Sometimes we don't get the people right. And what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is we're just going to look at the people that are in this part of the story of the Bible, the birth of Jesus. And this morning we begin with Zechariah and we begin in Luke chapter 1, beginning about verse 5. We are given a time frame here. It's in the days, verse 5, of Herod, king of Judea. There is a priest by the name of Zacharias who is of the division of Abijah. Abijah is one of the 24 divisions of priests That David put together at the end of his life as he's getting ready to die. He knows that his days on earth are limited. And he's putting together all of his resources and plans to build this tremendous temple that is going to honor God. And part of the the, the blueprint was to organize the the people, the men that were going to take care of the, the sacrifices and to take care of the temple. And he is, this Zechariah is number 8 of Abijah, number 8 in the 24 that David has put together. You know, by the time that Josephus rolls around, it's sort of been reorganized, and there are four classifications of priests that are divided into six to give us the 24. So it's changed a little bit, but Zechariah is part of this, this, uh, this division of Abijah. And he has a wife by the name of what? Elizabeth, and she is also from priestly descent. And Luke tells us a couple of things about Zechariah and Elizabeth, this, this beautiful couple. He says, number one, they're righteous, which means that they're, they're, they care about the ways of God. They care about God's will being done in their life. He also says that they're blameless, which means that they, they pay attention to what God's Word says. That they're not just living out on sincerity and what they think might be right in God's eyes. I mean, they have that kind of spirit. They want to be pleasing to God. But they're blameless in the sense that they know what Torah says. They know what the the five books of Moses say about how you live a righteous life. So they're righteous and they're blameless. But then we get down here to verse 7. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren And they were both advanced in years. Now, one of the things that you pick up when when you read this in the original language is that Luke is a a physician. He's a doctor. And he uses a technical term here to refer to to Elizabeth. She is sterile, which sounds very much like the word that we use in English. She's sterile, which is a tremendous burden on this couple you know, during this period of time in the ancient world, uh, the women who had lots of children were national heroes. You needed, you needed to have a lot of children just to be able to take care of you in your old age. There was not any kind of a Social Security plan. There wasn't uh, retirement plans like we have today in most of the, the modern countries. There, there was no such thing as that. And so you had a lot of children. And because of the mortality rate, you had to have a lot of children in order to have some children in your old age that would be able to take care of you. At the same time, it was really important to have a lot of of young men, a lot of boys in your family, a lot of sons, for the very reason that if the village down the the road and across the borders found out that there weren't a lot of uh, soldiers in your village, they were likely going to come and try to take all of your stuff. And so these women who had lots of children, who had especially lots of sons, were like national heroes. But at the same time, he gets even a little bit more intimate inside of the family of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Generally speaking, it wasn't always so. I mean, husbands and wives loved each other. But comfort and support was not one of the reasons that a man married a woman. He was to get those things from his mother. He would get that kind of emotional support from his sisters. There was, without going into a lot of the detail, there was there was really no way that a woman being married into a family would ever become seen as part of the core of that family, as part of the inner circle of that family until she provided an heir or a bloodline into that family. And so here is Elizabeth, always going to be on the outside and always feeling because of what's going on in that culture that is oppressive in many ways, that she is always going to have this burden, her heart is always going to be heavy because she's barren, because she is stara, as Luke says. Well, Luke speeds forward in the story to this time in which, uh, in verse 8, Zechariah is performing his priestly service before God. And one of the ways that this was done when, you were, when it came to burning this incense is that lots were taken you know, by the time of Josephus, Josephus says that of those four classifications, there were six. There were uh, there were six divisions. There were five thousand priests in these divisions, and so every time it was you were up in order to perform this kind of priestly service, a lot was drawn, and you could be chosen a couple of times, or you could be chosen not at all for many many years. And so when it comes his time, because he's chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense in verse 9, it is a very, very special moment for Zechariah. He has been chosen by Lot to to perform this this important part of of Judaism. And so he he picks up, uh, Josephus also tells us that that uh, Moses actually in Exodus 30, verse 7 and verse 14, says that these burning of incense ceremonies were done in the morning and the evening. What Josephus says is that it corresponded with the the, the three times of prayer, one in the morning and then the prayer in the evening. And so at the time that Zechariah is going to go into the temple, into the holy place with this bowl of incense, he has prepared himself. And he is wearing... The, the, the special priestly garb in order to, to, to present this incense as as a fragrant offering to God. And he picks it up, and it's this solemn, solemn moment. A couple of years ago, uh, actually more than a couple of years ago, about about 12 years ago, I'm in Israel. And I'm there with a very, very well-known archaeologist. Uh, he was leading a, a, a group of us a, at that time. We had... We, uh, uh, we're spending a little bit of time in front of the Western Wall and, and he, Dr. Page sort of disappeared and he came back and what he had been doing is working out a way for us to be able to go under the Temple Mount. Believe it or not, during this period of time, the Temple Mount was a lot like Disneyland, with all of these labyrinths and, and hallways and, and, and rooms and quarters and all of these things below the actual temple platform, the wall, and the temple itself. So that this is where the priests were living, and it was all underground. There was a uh, there was a doctor's quarters to take care of the priests. All of that underground. We got to go under there and see that. And as we're wandering around, and it's dark, and some of these passageways are about this this narrow, and you're having to kind of run and throw yourself through them. You come into a room that's about half the size of this stage up here. And you go, what in the world? It's all of a sudden there's this light, and you stop, and you look up, and in the corner, about ten feet above you, there is a little sign in neon lights that says, according to this passage in the Talmud, you are now directly below the Holy of Holies. And my heart stopped right there. I am, and I don't know how close it is to to surface, but I'm standing under the place where God literally, physically, in His glory, appeared. Your heart stops. And Zachariah is having, I think, that same kind of a moment because he is going into a place where God manifests Himself and where sins are forgiven in, on, on just on the other side of the curtain. And he walks in with this bowl and there's the altar of incense and the, the coals are up on top of it. He has a bowl of incense in his hand. And as he, he walks in, he says, May the God of mercy come into the sanctuary and accept with pleasure the sacrifice of His people. And then he lays that, that bowl of incense down on the hot coals there on the altar of incense. And he looks over, probably to, to, to the right, between the altar of incense and this big menorah, and he sees the angel. And like anybody, I am so startled to see this angel. And he's gripped with fear, Luke tells us. And the angel says to him in verse 13, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Now here's the thing. What prayer is it that, that Gabriel, is the, which is the name of the angel that's talking to him, which prayer is it That he's referring to well at first blush it sounds like the prayer for the son correct he's been praying and praying and praying and praying and praying for a son and now God has sent Gabriel to come and to tell him hey your wife Elizabeth is going to have a child the problem with that is even though I don't think it's wrong at all the problem though is that that is a very private matter and the announcement is not coming in a private place but it's coming in a place that is public it is a place for the people the nation of Israel it is it is right there at the place where sins are forgiven and god is met you know there was another prayer that was uttered by every priest by every israelite during this period of time and the prayer was for god to fulfill his promises you know at this period of time They're not in control of things in Israel. At least the Jewish people aren't. The Romans are. Rome's got its foot down on on Israel's neck. And things are not all that great in Israel because Rome is in control. And all of these promises, I mean, this is why the Pharisees exist. The Pharisees are a holiness movement. They're a legalist movement. But they they understood as they were coming back from the, the, the captivity that all of those prophets were correct. The reason that God did not bless Israel in 721 and in 586, but allowed them to be destroyed by their enemies is because they did not obey Torah. Because they were allowing the idols to come in. And so the Pharisees, as sort of this holiness movement, also a political movement, is saying, hey, we have got to be we have got to be obedient, strictly ad- adhering to the words of Torah for God to bless us and to take Rome's hobnail boot off of our throat so that we can rule ourselves and God's promises and his presence and his blessing and his and and his and his in his, in his, uh, his, um, his mercy fall down upon us. The funny thing though is that when you read this in the original language, the way that Gabriel talks about it is this. The prayer, Zechariah, that you've not prayed for a very long time. I think he's probably referring to both types of prayers, but mainly that last kind. Because he goes on to say, you will have a son. And you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will drink no wine or liquor yet he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit of the power of Elijah, that all coming from Malachi, to turn the hearts of the fathers where? back to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Gabriel, right there where Israel and God do business, is hearing the angel Gabriel say, your son is going to be the forerunner to the Messiah that Malachi talked about and the things that you have should have been praying about but haven't prayed for a very long time, are about to start up with this son being born to your barren wife, Elizabeth. Zechariah verse 18 says to the angel, <laughs> How will I know this for certain? Actually, there's, there's, there's kind of a theatrical way that, that Luke lays this out for us. I mean, he's gripped with fear. He hears all of this great stuff that the angel has been telling him. And then he he says, and this is the way that it's written down for us, he says, how can I know this for certain? I'm an old man and my wife is beyond age. There is emphasis in Luke's words on that last part. What happened? What happened to Zachariah? Stop praying the prayer of Israel. Faith began to diminish. How can I know this? I am old. And Gabriel returns in kind and says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I speak for God to you. And because you don't believe, you will be silent. You know, the funny thing about all of this is that, you you know, the way that uh, the Hebrews were raised, they they memorized Scripture as, as something that we've lost today. We should be memorizing the entire Bible, amen? We should know the Bible because we'll find ourselves in situations like this. It turns out that what's happening in Luke chapter 1 had happened in Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, Abraham and his wife, they're struggling because... So many great things, so many wonderful promises. God is so good, but I don't have a child. And then you know the story. In and out through Genesis, there there are ways that Abraham and Sarah try to do it, but it's not going to be the way they want. It's going to be the way that God wants and the way that God says it's going to happen. And in Genesis chapter 15, God comes to, to Abraham in a vision. And He says, guess what? You're going to have a child. And when you go to Romans chapter 4, which is Paul looking back on that event in which Abraham becomes the father of the faith, in verse 6, it's, he believes God. It's reckoned to him as righteousness. Paul says, you know what? God comes to, to Abraham, and he says, you are going to have a son. And Paul says, you know what? He looked at his, Abraham looked at his own body. and said, it's not happening here. And then he thought about his wife Sarah and said, yeah, and I know it's not happening there. But, 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 he believed God. And you know, Abraham becomes the father of the faith, according to, to Paul, because of the profoundness of that faith in looking at what looks like it's an impossibility in believing the Word of God. Well he's silent, Zachariah, Nine months. Baby is born. They go through uh, uh, the circumcision ritual. We talked about uh, the circumcision ritual, uh, how the ceremony itself proceeds. Uh, There's a lot of picking up the baby and handing the baby off to certain individuals. And right before the circumcision takes place, they say in the room, Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by His Commandments, and commanded us concerning circumcision. They hand the baby to the moel. The moel begins to circumcise the baby, and they say the same thing, but they end it this way, and commanded us to bring our sons into the covenant for our father or of our father Abraham. And at that point, they turn to the father, and they say, "What are we going to name this child?" And Zachariah can't say anything. And so they say, well, we're going to name him some other name. Elizabeth's in the outer room. She hears, she goes, no, 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 indeed. His name is going to be John. And they go, nobody in your family's by that. A woman. She's not going to name this baby. They turn to Zachariah, Zachariah. And he motions, and they're giving him signals, which means that he was probably not only able to, to not speak, but probably could not hear as well. And he writes down on the tablet, his name will be John. And at that point, verse 64, at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he began to speak in praise of God. You're silent all of these days, all of these months. And the first thing that comes out of your mouth is praise. And then notice again the words that Aaron read for us just a few minutes ago. Verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited us and accomplished what? Redemption for His people. Raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David the servant. He has spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from of old salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath which He swore to Abraham. There's where Abraham comes back into the story. To grant us that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. And then He turns to John. And in this, this, this voice, this tone of praise, He says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give to His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. And then, don't lose this to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. It's a reference to the Gentiles. Now right after this ceremony in which everything Jewish is brought to bear on this child, the, the, the recognition of, of, of God and, and, and the covenant that, that we have as Jewish people through Abraham back to God, that He sanctifies through the doing of the commandments, there is nothing more Jewish that is going to happen to John than this moment right here and to everyone else in the room. It is about being Israel. Zechariah says, not only is Israel going to be saved, but the entire world. The entire world that is bathed in darkness, living its life out, its days out in shadows, is going to have sunrise once again. Two points. What is it that we learn from Zechariah? Most basic lesson is that uh, spiritual perspective is regained in silence. This is really important for us. Because we are so surrounded by noise, noise, noise. Sometimes I feel, I I get the Grinch. The noise, the noise, the noise. I get that. Sometimes you can't even think. David, in a psalm, Psalm 4 and verse 4 says, you know what you need to do when you you, want to, you're struggling with things that are happening in your life and the real struggle boils down to not all of these bad things that are happening in your life, but whether or not you trust God or not, is to lay on your bed and meditate on Him in silence over in Habakkuk. You know, Habakkuk is one of these prophets that just, we don't study him enough. The, the, the times are bad. And Habakkuk is going, God, why do, you, why, why do you make me look on all of this evil? And for that matter, God, why are you so holy and righteous? Why are you looking on all of this evil that's taking place in the land? And God says, you know what? I am going to do something about it, but if I told you, you wouldn't even believe it because I'm bringing down this impetuous, feverish, fierce army on top of you. And it's not exactly what Habakkuk was wanting to hear. He is being rocked. He's rocked first by the evil and then God's answer to the evil that is rocking him rocks him even more. I can't believe I said that without stumbling. So what is it that he says at the very end of chapter 2? Basically, everything is breaking loose in my life, but here's what I'm going to do. The Lord's in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep what? Silence before Him. I don't don't know what the challenge is for you pragmatically, but at some point every day, there needs to be a moment of silence as you regain your spiritual perspective and are able to see the big picture that God is doing not only in your life, but in the community. And then number two, and this will be the last point very quickly, God's Word must be believed. You know, we can know God's Word, we can quote God's Word, we can know it in the Hebrew and the Greek and the Aramaic, we can know all kinds of things, we can parse it, we can know definitions, we can read it in Latin, we can read it in all kinds of, and, and, and still not believe it. And still not believe it. Still not believe it. When we are saved, we are not, it's not just a mechanical process in which you know, we walk into the room wearing red clothes and walk out wearing green clothes. It's a change. It's a change. It, it's, it's a change. It, is, it is a word that is like, a, it's living. It's like a, a double-edged sword. It, it, it is a word from God where he is speaking from, from his heart to our heart, his mind to our mind. And when he says you don't have to worry or you don't have to fret or you don't have to feel uh, guilt because of these sins that have been forgiven, that there's nothing that's going to separate you, why be anxious about being separate from God? Why don't we believe that Word that comes to us so frank and so crisp? You know, there are times when God's Word comes to us as bold and as frank and as direct as Gabriel's words went to Zechariah. That's why Paul says in his writing to Timothy that the Word of God is inspired and powerful and it is useful in changing your life and helping you to become a man or woman of God. So as we get ready to to, to study more of these characters, we're going to be looking at the different ways that they teach us what it means to be a believer, to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a Christian. But this morning, you have to ask yourself this question. God's Word says so many things to me. Do I really believe it? When God's Word says that you can be saved from your sins, they can be forgiven, they can be washed away, they can be put as far away from God as the east is from the west that His Spirit will come inside of you, that you can be transformed, that you can rise up and become a different person because you have been born again. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? And believing it to be true, want it to happen in your own life. Ben's going to lead us in a song right now. Some of our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. If There are ways that we can minister to you this morning. Do you believe? Do you believe? These shepherds are down here to minister to you. Let's come down and talk to them as we stand and sing together.